The scripture reading this morning is um, from the book of Acts. It's chapter 8, and it's in two sections. It's 1 through 8, and then skipping down 26 through 40. Um, the first sentence of the first verse says, And Saul approved of their killing him, and him refers to Stephen, who is in the chapter 7 of the martyr. So, and Saul who is Paul later on, approved of killing him. On that, great, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, skipping down to verse 26, Thou the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip to go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. The reading of God's word.
we all face unwelcome obstacles. We all face unwelcome obstacles that occasionally, upon further reflection, we have to admit resulted in a positive outcome. Perhaps it was in your youth when you suffered a sports injury, and it was the process of becoming stronger and going through rehab that you found that you became stronger, and it actually increased your performance. Perhaps it was an initial experience of failure or struggle in school, through which you ultimately gained insight into how you as a person, not someone else, but you as God made you, needed to study, how you needed to learn, your style of learning, through which you found success in the classroom. Perhaps it was undergoing a medical test or scan to treat an unwelcome condition through which, however, another unseen condition was discovered. And then it was diagnosed and then successfully treated. For the early Christians, the most serious of unwelcome obstacles was persecution that sometimes ended in their deaths. One of the early church theologians of the late second and early third century was a North African scholar named Tertullian. And one of his most famous quotes is born of his observation of the early church of his times and the surprising positive outcome of religious persecution. The blood of the martyrs, he said, is the seed of the church. The church grew in ways that it may not have without the persecution that was intended to stamp it out. Acts 8, verse 1. On that day, the day that Stephen was killed by the religious authorities. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And everyone except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, the surrounding countryside, and Samaria, the nearby region. Stephen had spoken boldly about Jesus. In our, our series, we talked about Stephen briefly as one of the seven who were called into leadership, uh, a Hellenistic Jew, um, along with six other Hellenistic Jews, invited to, to make sure that people's needs were being cared for, and yet they also participated in the proclamation of the gospel. Stephen spoke boldly about Jesus, and the religious authorities were so enraged that they drug him out of the city and they stoned him to death. This act was witnessed with approval by an up-and-coming young religious leader, a zealous religious leader named Saul. Remember that name for next week. 
Like a spark igniting a powder keg, the killing of Stephen set off large-scale persecution of the church in Jerusalem that forced most of the church out into the surrounding areas. And there was great loss and great change that happened forever on that day. The days of the church openly gathering in the temple courts in Jerusalem and enjoying this life together that is so warmly painted in Luke's account in the first few chapters of Acts, those days were gone. Never to return up to this date in the history of the church. And furthermore, The church is on the run. They didn't really have even the time to set up house, to set up their home base. And now they've got friends and relatives who've been dragged into prison, people who have been beaten, and at least one loved one who they grieve. They grieve deeply, the text says, for Stephen's loss. You know, the kind of persecution seen here is is the type of religious persecution that is attacking people for religious reasons. More specifically, to persuade them by harassment or violence and even by example, to persuade them to give up their religion. And this happens in the world today often when a political regime is officially atheistic. It's one of the the more common experiences of religious persecution, when it's illegal to observe a religion. It may also be when a nation has one official religion and legally curtails all others. Christianity Today reports that every day, 15 Christians worldwide are killed for their faith. 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned because of their faith. Another five are abducted. Last year, more than 124,000 Christians were forcibly displaced from their homes because of their faith. And of this, 15,000 became refugees and are still without a home. And it's closer to North Creek than you might think. When I look at the published lists of the nations in the world today that are most hostile to Christian faith, I notice this, that we have members of this congregation who are citizens of nations on this list. And they came to faith in these countries in the midst of religious resistance. And in a sense, they themselves have been scattered by persecution, and they have ended up here. Not just ended up, but God has brought them here. And I'll let you follow up and do the math, because you know, I'm not going to name the country or the countries. And here's why. Because this is a dead serious situation. And this broadcast is available worldwide on the internet. 
We have active mission partnerships with vulnerable Christian communities in nations that are on this list. More than one. And we bring missionaries up during five minutes in the field, or five minutes for mission, and they share with you that example. We don't, they share with you the great work that we're doing in terms of teaching people the faith. We don't often emphasize really the hard part of being a follower of Christ in that particular place. But it's there. It's a reality. Generally speaking, persecution is one expression, perhaps the the most frightening expression of unwelcome challenges that come as we follow Christ. Another unwelcome challenge that we face in following Christ is something that we've been sharing a little bit more in our our strategic planning process, looking at some challenging statistics about the amount of interest that people have in religion or specifically Christianity in our society today. Because whether death is faced by the church in one crisis moment of threat or whether we have to face death slowly by atrophy and disinterest. At one level, it is part of the same question and issue. A 2020 survey shows that for the first time in American history, fewer than half of the population claims membership in a house of worship. 47%. And that is of all religious observance. That house of worship could be a church, or it could be a temple, it could be a synagogue, it could be a mosque. Whether it's widespread persecution or accelerating indifference, when facing these unwelcome challenges, do we give up in resignation? To put it in terms of a cultural idiom that comes from the world of prize fighting. Are we tempted to throw in the towel? Throwing in the towel comes from just the collected fatigue of going through the challenge. Now the fatigue that comes from from real live persecution I don't know that because I haven't experienced that. I have to learn from my sisters and brothers who have gone through that. But for myself as a pastor in a denomination that, that in the last 30 years has declined by 62% in its membership, gone from 3 million people to 1 million people in my, basically, from my teen years until now. I mean, I've been a pastor for 25 years in this denomination. You think, you know, I I also want to do well. Is it my fault? (laughs) Is it our fault? What responsibility do we have in the midst of it? Or is it just something that we have to face? And ask the question, how do we do 
effective ministry? How do we faithfully follow Christ? In the face of decline, are we tempted to throw in the towel? Well, let's learn something from those early Christians who experienced something more dislocating than anything most of us have experienced. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 8. Those who had been scattered, they had to flee for their lives or forcibly removed from Jerusalem. They preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Some of you might recall in chapter 1, this is actually a little bit of a biblical palindrome here. Uh, This story that we're talking about today started out with chapter 8, verse 1. But if you do the palindrome version of that reference, you have Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's a very important verse. And we learn about what Jesus told his disciples in that first chapter of Acts. We learn that Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit that I promise you comes, we talked about that two weeks ago, you will be filled with power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The scattering of Jesus' followers led them to preach the word and proclaim the Messiah where they ended up. And in so doing, they literally fulfilled stages two and three of Jesus' four-stage mission. And they should get a round of applause for that. Let's do it. I mean, they got us to stage four. Just in that move, by, by, by recognizing, and this is where the adaptive move came. They recognized that just staying in Jerusalem was not the full expression of life in Christ. That it, they had good news to share. Jesus, in fact, had told them that they were supposed to move out. And so what maybe man or people meant for evil purposes, God redeemed it, turned it into good by empowering their witness Without the persecution that scattered them in Judea and Samaria, would they have ended up being Jesus' witnesses there? Possibly. But we'll never know. What we do know is that they made that adaptive decision about what it meant to be a Christian. That it was more about faithfulness to Jesus and what Jesus calls us to than the comfort in the place of worship. Imagine... If those early Christians had reasoned, had decided not to adapt to the changing circumstances, public pressure that kept them away from worshiping in the temple, and this beautiful picture of Jerusalem life, if they had just anchored down to that and said, this is the end-all and be-all. It's this kind of activity, us loving one another and gathering around the word and meeting in the temple and it's right here, right now and what we experience is the full story. And then that gets violently taken away from them. 
if they didn't adapt, it would be over, wouldn't it? That was it. It was great while it lasted. It would have been a death blow to the church. How can you follow Christ without meeting in the temple courts and learning from the apostles, sharing life together, networked along the narrow stone-paved lanes of the holy city? But when they were kicked out of Jerusalem, they adapted to a faith that went with them. A faith that could be carried outside of Jerusalem, which was what would need to happen if they had taken Jesus' last words seriously. And the church today can adapt to changing circumstances, even to resistance, and even to apathy. We can pause and think about what it feels like. Now, so for some of us, we, we aren't really kind of in the, the center of leadership within the church, and we kind of look around and say, hey, it's great. Look at everyone who's here. This is awesome. Which, by the way, that is absolutely true. Um, looking around, just seeing everyone here, it's so great. And everyone who's online, that's a whole new dimension. Talk about adaptation in the ministry. COVID was something that was an unwelcome occurrence. It hit the church, and it hurt. It hurt to be a part. Some of us are reeling from that Barna statistic that in our strategic planning workshop uh, yesterday that we heard, that, that the predictions are that, that one in three churchgoers during COVID left active participation in the church for good. That they're not likely coming back. Stunning. How do we deal with that? But when we do, we can remember that, that the faith is, is more than just what we've grown accustomed to. That there are ways that we can be faithful to Christ's call in new ways. In new ways that, that match our current situation. And we may find that we're even more free to reach out in those ways. Now it's, it is a little bit different when you reach out as a Christian. But you know, when it seemed like everyone in America went to church, you know what you heard from people within the church when it came to outreach was, everyone I know is a Christian. <laughs> everyone I live with is a Christian. They go to church. What are you asking me to do? They, you read this stuff from the, from the book of Acts about, about being Christ's witnesses out in the world, making disciples of all people, and you wonder how that happens. Well, 47%, friends, in the good old U.S. of A. That can actually turn into good news, can it? On the topic of good news, Acts 8, verses 34 and 35. The Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet here in these words from Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 
You know, there's one thing that those early Christians who were scattered into success in following Christ's call to be his witnesses, there's one thing that they took with them. And that thing that they took with them, they have protected, and Christians have protected and nurtured throughout the existence of the church. And we talk about the church in the United States. We talk about churches in suburban contexts, like this one, or churches in the inner city, or churches in rural farmlands. You look globally at churches in Korea, churches in Nigeria, churches in Iraq. All of those churches are actively treasuring the treasure of the church that that early church took with them out of Jerusalem. And it is the gospel. The gospel. The gospel is the good news. In the Greek, this word good news, good news about Jesus, good news is the word gospel. Whenever you hear that word gospel, it is the good news. The good news is gospel. It is the good news about Jesus, about Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one who brings us closer to God, the one who draws near to us and offers us life abundant. In a world where we face people out to do harm to other people, a world where Jesus is the truth, but it's a world where we encounter lies, lies about our own worth, lies about others' worth. Like Stephen, Philip is one of the seven Hellenistic Jews that were called to leadership in the early church. And in chapter 8, he's like the face of the franchise in this chapter. He was scattered to the city of Samaria, and he, he proclaimed the Messiah there to large numbers of people. It was like mass communications. He, he, he kind of, his operation there, it impacted a lot of people, and a lot of other believers were involved in this work. It was a together thing. You know, as a church, we have those opportunities to work together, to develop programs of outreach that we all have our part in, and we encourage one another with it. We've done those in the past, Right? Remember Dinner at the Creek and Alpha and, and, and Elementary School Partnership and, and Operation Night Watch, and it goes on and on. It's all about the good news. But he was also led by the Holy Spirit personally. Just Philip. 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 I want you to bring the good news of Jesus over here to this person. He followed that still small voice of the Spirit and continued on an outward bound missionary journey to the road that led out of Jerusalem south to Africa. And there he finds an Ethiopian official who's just been to Jerusalem and he's interested in the faith. He has a lot of religious questions. And Philip steps through an open door to tell him about the good news of Jesus. Whether it's part of a larger effort of expanding the reach of the congregation into the community, or we are called through the still small voice of the Spirit, 
called to befriend someone who is either in or is about to come into our personal circle or sphere of relationship. The path of faithfulness in mission for us comes by talking about Jesus. How might we do this? Let's keep talking about all the ways we can. In our small groups, let's encourage each other all the ways we can. Within even our own families, let's talk about how we can talk about Jesus more. Because when we talk about Jesus, we're going to be talking about the good news about Jesus. And you know what Christians really need to live their life and experience the joy of the Christian faith? is to daily recognize our relationship with Christ as the best news that we could ever have heard or experienced. And that is focused. That's right in our view, especially when we're thinking about how we can explain that to others. Well, how do we face unwelcome challenges that threaten to destabilize our life of faith? It's natural to contemplate throwing in the towel at times. But if we take that immediate option, think about all that we might miss out on. Opportunities for greater faithfulness in expressing the mission of Jesus. In fact, that opportunity may be greater than it has ever been. And that opportunity may be closer than we think. As we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to respond, like the early church, we may just find ourselves scattered into success. Amen.